recently, while cleaning from my wardrobe, I found a box of photographs I'd, that I had taken at an interview party of uni friends in 2005. The party was small, and at the time I knew all of the people there. We were the writers and associated hangers-on for Kraken Magazine, the student pub publication for the University of Auckland. <laughs> but with the years gone by, I struggled to recall the names and details of some of the people in the photos. Their appearance in the photos, alongside others more familiar to me, implied that they had held an equal level of importance to me at the time. <laughs> I felt a perverse sense of confusion and mild displeasure at, mild displeasure at, the, at the unexpected reappearance in my memories. <laughs> Turns out the passing of time had made my memory highly selective. <laughs> what were these people doing now? The bonds that had drawn us together that night of the party had long since faded away. I was further distressed to note that most of the people who I'd been close to in 2005 in the photos were no longer as anywhere near as close to me now as they were then. How had they changed? How had I changed? At this point, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to take a psychedelic trip back to the heady days of 2005. <laughs> the general vibe with the Kraken crew was that we were a unique and special breed and that with the magazine, we had done something truly significant. Our vengeful intellect, nurtured by years of high school bullying, were let, <laughs> were let loose on an unsuspecting and largely uncaring student populace. <laughs> it was our trip, and it freaked us, and to a large extent only us, out. <laughs> our blend of Hunter S. Thompson, William S. Burroughs, South Park, and Noam Chomsky brought hope and guidance to literally tens of students. I took an even more unorthodox approach, often surreptitiously inserting quotes from the works of James Joyce into mundane stories about student association executive meetings. <laughs> this subversion must have worked well, as no one ever seemed to notice. <laughs> my odyssey through this world of student media is best exemplified by my less than favorable review of Olymp Biscuit's greatest hits compilation <laughs> and a 3,000 word article on jury selection incomprehensible to the layperson. But it wasn't just students who, who were indifferent to our sassy attitudes and no-hold-bars cynicism. I also got to rub shoulders with the big names, interviewing political commentator Chris Trotter and turning up to the launch of Max Sassy Red Ale, where no one, where no one had heard of my magazine. <laughs> our stories often discuss the big themes, but our effect on society in no way matched our ambition and self-importance. Despite our best efforts, the imminent threat of peak oil remains unaverted. Fox News is still on the air. George W. Bush did not resign out of shame. And the prospect of the Middle East becoming a harmonious set of anarcho-syndicalist communes remains as remote as ever. <laughs> <laughs> in, in any case, we had lots of fun. The combination of intellectual endeavor, clever, clever humor, and the abundance of free time and cheap booze <laughs> led to fun, fun, fun at the Crackham offices. My life outside the magazine was similarly wild. My first flat ended when one of my flatmates left for Wellington and the other two inexplicably failed to appreciate my casual approach to cleaning and doing dishes. <laughs> I had no such problems at my next flat, a small two-bedroom unit in Newmarket shared with a fellow Kraken denizen where the cheap beer flowed like wine and the cleaning standards were as relaxed as my standard flat attire of baggy t-shirt, track pants, if you were lucky, and bare feet. <laughs> it didn't take long for some new flatmates to move in 
A horde of ants and fruit flies, attached by the gold mine of empty beer cans scattered throughout the flat, and the unwashed, unwashed dishes piled up in the kitchen sink and laundry tub. <laughs> With such a luxury pad, I needed a wardrobe to match. <laughs> Luckily, I had made a second home at Shadows University Bar, and due to my prowess at pub quizzes held there, I soon acquired a formidable array of orange Tui Bear promotional t-shirts. <laughs> and one, and also a, one pair of Tui boxer shorts. <laughs> Money saved on buying t-shirts was available to spend on booze in matters gastronomical. I experimented with 101 uses for Rivermill bread, available for $2 a loaf or less at the supermarket. Judging by Rivermill's taste and consistency, its main ingredient was sawdust. So, so I had no choice but to try and spice things up with some funky toppings. My choice of condiments included sardines, mayonnaise, uh, margarine, mayonnaise, and on one memorable occasion when nothing else was available, Thai red curry paste. <laughs> Living on the edge as a broke student has its downsides, however, <laughs> and those downsides became ever more pronounced as time dragged on. No money leads to arguments over shares of bills, leads to bills not being paid, leads to letters, letters threatening that services will be cut off, leads to services being cut off. <laughs> There's also the nagging feeling of failure when your contemporaries have left uni and now working and are earning the comparatively big bucks. So it was with a great deal of relief when I moved down, down to Wellington to enter the full-time workforce. Geography made the separation from my old life both emotional and physical. Very quickly, cheap and nasty alcohol lost the, the allure it once had, and though it took some time, sardines and banana no longer seem like a match made in pizza topping heaven. <laughs> Without university and the student lifestyle to hold us together, it was none too surprising that, if, that most of us started to go our own ways. A number left New Zealand altogether. Gradually, my old journalistic colleagues began the journey into middle-class professionalism. Working for the man didn't seem like the worst thing in the world, especially since the paycheck handed out by the man is quite useful at paying for essentials, plus the finest things in life. I can only assume that if the same people at that 2005 party reconvened today, the Rivermore bread would be banished in favour of post-artisan paleo-friendly chia butter, <laughs> and the once ubiquitous tui left unwanted and unchugged in the fridge while exotic craft beers from Aro Valley are gently sipped and savoured. Conversation would no longer dwell on Derridean interpretations of Everybody Loves Raymond. Instead, the housing market would dominate. But in this case, we would be talking about the difficulty of buying a house, rather than the mushrooms growing through the rotting floorboards in our flat shower. <laughs> so was living the freedom lifestyle worth it? My fond memories of many hours talking amusing nonsense in the pub, at the Crackham office, and at decrepit hovels says yes. But while I'm glad I did it, I can truly say that once was enough. 